have your Bibles, and you should, would you turn to the gospel according to Mark (laughs) from Boston, (laughs) chapter 16. You know, we don't get a chance to warm up. It's something that uh, we should really consider. Anyway, Mark's gospel, chapter 16, we'll take verses 12 through 20. 12 through 20, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them. Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons They will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Please be seated. Despair to proclamation, that's where this is going. In this chapter, the Lord reveals himself to his apostles, having already revealed himself to other disciples. And he is going to, of course, as we just read, reprove their unwillingness to believe But at the same time, he encourages them to go out and to preach, and he promises to back them up in doing that. Mark then finishes with this climactic beginning of the church and the rule of Christ beside the Father and showing him in sovereignty. The servant is the ruler. That's how Mark will end his gospel. And then we go into the book of Acts and find out what happens after that. Looking at verse 12, there Mark writes, After that he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. Now, of course, that after that, metatauta in the Greek, very important when we get to the book of Revelation and we begin to talk about uh, the rapture of the church happening at the beginning of uh, the revelation of Antichrist. That uh, Greek phrase, after this, after this, lines it all up for us. And we realize through just that section of uh, Revelation chapter 1 through through 6, where this metatauta in the Greek is used, we realize that uh, the church is not here when Antichrist is revealed. And I say that because there are those that believe in the mid-tribulation stuff, and I don't think the scripture supports that at all. Um, And and anyway, that's a side note, and I just give you that in case you want to go dig into it on your own. Um, uh, But that is the phrase Mark uses, and what he is doing, he's connecting 
What are you saying here in verse 12 with what went on in verse 11? And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he keeps the sequence uh, going. And so before they saw him risen, the apostles, the twelve, well, minus Judas, of course, and in this first appearance of Christ, Thomas was not there, and it looks like Peter wasn't there also, depending on how you uh, interpret uh, Luke's Gospel uh, 24, but I'll come to that in a moment. Anyway, they were paralyzed in unbelief because they did not believe they were afraid. They weren't doing anything except being afraid. Fear kills every other feeling, but not love, not agape love, unless you allow it to. He appeared in another form, it says in verse 12. Well, he never looked the same after the resurrection. There were changes. Paul makes this little note. He says, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Things have changed. And this would explain why they didn't recognize him on the road to Emmaus, why they didn't recognize him on the shore of Galilee, uh, and why it says uh, he appeared in another form. And however much they saw him, there is always more to him. However much you learn about Jesus Christ, there's more to him. And uh, if, if you can know everything there is to know about God, then he's not big enough to be your God. What makes God so wonderful and worthy of our worship is he's beyond us forever. And yet, uh, we can receive enough of him to uh, enjoy friendship with God. To two of them, as they walked and went into the country at the bottom of verse 12. Now, Mark is going to condense much of his uh, story about the, the resurrection. Luke gives us more details about that one clause in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 32. And there are the two disciples going to this uh, town of Emmaus, and Christ joins them, and they realize it is the Christ, and they turn around and they go back to Jerusalem. It's a 14-mile round trip, Luke 24, verse 13. Now, behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And uh, they will make it to Emmaus. They will sit down with the Lord, and then they realize it's him, and they, they come back to tell, verse 13, and they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. And of course, this is something that Christ is not going to give them a complete pass on. He's going to reprove them, but he's going to also encourage them. He's not going to humiliate them or slam them, but he is going to send this message to them and to all after them. I am paying attention to faith. I am paying attention to those who are reluctant to believe in spite of the Witness and those who are not. Kind of reminds us of checking his list and checking it twice to see who's naughty or nice. And for some of you, older Christians, you may still believe in Santa Claus, and we'll talk about that later. Anyway, verse 13. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them, as I read. Now, the rest, I believe, are the nine. Initially, Peter and Thomas were absent. Because in Luke 24, verse 34, Luke says that these two come back from Emmaus saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. 
Well, if they're going to tell the apostles that he's appeared to Simon, evidently Simon's not there to tell me I saw him. Well, some of the Bible, and many good Bible translators, uh, not as good as me, of course, because they, don't, they lack the humility. And when I always point that out, because it's a big thing with me to be more humble than anybody else. Well, anyway, uh, they, he, uh, some of the commentators will say, well, no, that's no longer the two from Emmaus speaking. That's now the disciples telling the two from And I don't buy it. I think that uh, the antecedents don't line up their way. My way is better. And there's a few on my side, too, so I'm not alone. Uh, anyway, these two come back and they tell the nine. Thomas being the missing man and the, the last of the 12 apostles to see the risen Lord. Uh, no slight on Thomas. How many lessons are in that? Maybe you, your timing has been off at some point in your walk. Maybe you weren't where you were supposed to be and you missed out. And Christ says, I know you missed that one out, but I've got more stuff for you anyway because there's a lot to be done. And the Lord is looking for those who can assist him in getting it done. Well, it would have been a crime to walk to Emmaus with the Christ, find out it is him, and not tell anybody. Imagine if they just went to bed. It's like, wow, the Lord is risen. Oh, I'll see you tomorrow. The Christian life is to be a proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the Christian life. And all that lines up after that, your job, wherever you work in the world, it's logistical to preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have to eat, you have to sleep, you have to have shelter and clothing, and aren't we glad? And so to get these things, you need a job. And uh, once these things are in place, we, we, we can preach the gospel to the people we live with. Now, um, anyway, we, we get that. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, we do this at the communion. Every time uh, I administer the communion, I, and I use 1 Corinthians 11 mostly, I, I try to read this verse. In fact, I do read this verse every time. And this, here it comes. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this club, uh, cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he returns. That's the risen Lord. The Christian life is to be a proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, when we as a body gather to celebrate his dealing with our sin through his death, we do it so that we can also preach that we know he rose again. And man is accountable to him. And this is uh, found nowhere else on earth. It's not found in the stars. The gospel message is not in the stars. It is in the Bible. It is in the word of God. Yeah, there are truths concerning God in creation, of course. You cannot dispute that there is a God sane with any sanity by, by again, looking at the stars and saying, well, they just happened. One time, though, in, in, in to give the evolutionists some fair play, one time I threw a box of Legos up in the air, and it came down all together. It was, all the pieces were just, it was a little car. Was, so, okay, yeah. Yeah, that didn't happen. Uh, anyway, uh, one of the things that the evolutionists will be dealt with with God is dishonesty. Just being dishonest. Just so determined to bake God out of creation 
that they resort to dishonesty. And the stuff with Carl Sagan, the pagan, you know, well, we're looking to the alien life. If there were aliens visiting Earth, we would know it. You know why? We'd all be in straitjackets. <laughs> they had the technology to do that. They'd, anyway, all right, I'm warmed up now. Uh, anyway, the world around us. It is drunk with Satan's leadership, and it doesn't even know it. We oppose this leadership. Well, they know that part. They just don't know the names that belong to uh, what we are rebelling against from their perspective, as we point out that they're rebelling against God. We're not at war with lost souls. We are at war with the foolish lies they have fallen for. And if we could uh, stand beside ourselves before we, would be, we were saved, we would be at war with ourselves. I mean, if I met the old me walking down the street, I, I said, man, you're pretty good looking. Wait till you get to be older and in the pulpit. Anyway, uh, I would say uh, he was a fool, lost in his sins, and prayed that I would have a chance to share Christ. It says here in verse 13, but they did not believe them either. These guys were on a roll. Well, again, their hearts were broken. I mean, this, this was more than just a mental thing. This was emotional for them. They loved Jesus so much, walked with him, and then in seemingly just hours, he's arrested and murdered in front of everybody. He's gone. And they just couldn't recover easily from this. And uh, so we read, and, but they did not believe them either. When tragedy strikes, belief can crumble into despair very quickly. Uh, it had been only a weekend. Uh, for, some, for some of us, sometimes tragedy strikes, and it's for years, or the remainder of the life. And yet we are still required to have faith. Again, Luke's Gospel, chapter 24 it says about them at this moment, and their words, when they were hearing the testimony that Christ was risen from the women, and their words seemed to be like an idle tale, and they did not believe them. It was too good to be true. And God wants his people to love, and he wants them to trust. Through the word, through the truth, through the testimonies, in pain or out of pain, we're supposed to believe. Well, you think pastors always come to the pulpit jolly? You think they don't have a life? They don't have problems with kid, children? They don't have problems with uh, just other things in life? Uh, I've been in the pulpit, at, not recently, but I have been at times just depressed. Duking it out and winning. Uh, I, you know, in season and out of season has a broad application. And anyway, reminder to... Christians who place priority over the word with song or works or sensationalism or ritual and on it can go. The, Jesus did not expound when he met those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He did not sing them a song. He did not talk to them about ritual. Well, you've got to you know, light this candle and put it just over here to the east. What did Jesus expound on with his disciples once he was risen? The word. Luke's Gospel 24, verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
So he dealt with prophecy, prophecy fulfilled, application of the prophecy. I mean, what good is it if you know that you have an end time scenario and you do nothing with it? I mean, we don't learn these things so we can just go home and say, boy, that was really nice. It's tempting. I mean, I love reading sermons from the old pastors. Uh, but I have to do something with it. It's not just, boy, that was like, you know, watching a, a play or something. It usually turns into work, scribbling notes, and it's not as enjoyable as it is just... I mean, I could probably read War and Peace in an hour. But uh, it's exaggeration. But, of course, when I come to a Bible material, it, I can't read it because I'm busy. Boy, this is a point. I don't want to forget this. Thank you, Lord, and on it. And maybe you're the same way. Or maybe you just hear... Uh, someone else preaching. It's okay if you have the same, you know, boy, I just keep pausing it so I can think about that, write it down. There are bookworms and there are tapeworms. It's, it's okay to be one or the other. Anyway, uh, uh, the age of the apostles, that's where we are. The age of the apostles was accompanied by miracles for a long part of that. But because of their work, because of the signs and wonders that followed their work, we now have the truth in written form. Now, that does not mean, I'm not saying I do not believe in the gifts, the signs and wonders. But it does mean that it is uh, not like it was, and we covered this last session, uh, as it was in the days of the apostles. Physical miracles are not as widespread presently as they were in biblical uh, times. Uh, since we are now in the age of truth, by faith, through grace, uh, we, the word is the dominant vehicle. There are other vehicles, but scripture is by far dominant. Remember Pharaoh. He saw signs and wonders, and he still did not believe. Deuteronomy 26, verse 8. So Yahweh brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. Well, this has to do with what we're talking about, does it not? Because Jesus is going to use signs and wonders in the early church to establish the church. And he, but, but he gives them something to think about. Through Scripture, that's what happened with the with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He gave them something to think about, to develop, and to apply. And that ain't easy. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night because that's what it takes. That's what it takes to be used by God. Should we say, Lord, I want you to honor me and use me to preach in all the world. I just don't want to know your word. Well, that, of course, would be crazy. Verse 14, later he appeared. I'm going to come back to this uh, signs and wonders things, of course. It's just too much to have in one, one spot. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He wanted them to believe the preaching. And he didn't say to Mary, okay, you've seen me, now I'm going to give you a sign and wonder to take back so they'll believe me. Mark, again, condensing the appearances 
of Christ. Uh, Peter and Thomas uh, present at some point, and this is, I think, verse 14 would have that. He materialized in their midst. He ate food. He demonstrated that his body was real, but that it could also vanish, that there were physical laws in place, but there were also other laws in place, and he had mastered them. Where he rebukes them here, um, their unbelief, Love must rebuke what is wrong in order to restore and to preserve and to advance in situations like this. If you have a child and the child is doing something that is wrong and harmful, that child must be rebuked, dealt with. I mean, it doesn't have to be harsh. Some children are very responsive to, you know, don't do that. I'm good. Uh, My father could just look in my direction. It would all stop until he went away and I could go back at it. But uh, don't, anyway, uh, this uh, is part of our faith as Christians. Galatians 6, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. That's a verse that every Christian should memorize. Every Christian should look to apply that. Instead of walking around a microscope, instead of trying to take, uh, you know, beams out of people's eyes, it's easier to, take a, to spot a beam and take it out of someone else's eye than to get the mote out of your own. Despair hardened their hearts. That's why they did not believe. What a lesson. I don't want to hear this when I'm in a state of despair. When I'm in a state of despair, I just want relief from whatever is causing me this lack of faith. But that's not how it works. Not all the time. I have to remember, okay, I'm supposed to endure. Take the pain. Despair hardened their hearts. Lesson for me, Scripture warms the hearts. Again, Luke's Gospel 24, verse 32. And they said to one another, this is the two again on the road to Emmaus, after they realized Christ had been with them, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And while he opened the scriptures to us, interesting point, their hearts were burning as he was giving them lessons on scripture, even though they still thought he was dead. That's the power of the word of God. It it warmed their hearts in the midst of their grief. And then when they all, when they realize it, they put it all together. And that's where victories are. And that's where I want to be. Verse 15, and he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, not like some in history. He's not talking about going and preaching to ants or, you know, mosquitoes. Who wants to preach to mosquitoes? Just, anyway. Uh, Clearly, uh, what he says to them, go into all the world. Uh, This is the church age because it it was physically impossible for the twelve to go throughout the whole world. Uh, This would... This is uh, looking down uh, the, the telescope. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Uh, well, we're not supposed to be separatists, isolationists, spiritual hermits, living in monasteries. I mean, when they first started monasteries, they were, you know, they, they did have a plan. It was not intended to be what monasteries became. But anyway, uh, we're not there now. 
We're not supposed to be isolated from the world. We are supposed to seek and engage as the Spirit gives opportunity. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. I love reading these verses. This is one of the bonuses of, of preaching. Uh, the not-so-bonuses of preaching is when you mess up. It's like, you know, God gets all the credit for the good stuff. And I get all the credit for the bad stuff. Uh, anyway, that's, that's, the, that's the contract. Uh, verse 15 of Philippians 2, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. How profound is that? How many that name Christ don't want to hear that? The Christian life is to be dominated by truth through the word. Where else are you going to get it from? God has not entrusted Christianity to skywriting. Or someone, well, what am I going to do today? Oh, here comes a plane. I'll read what it says. It's from God. The church age is won by... <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> the church age is one of faith by truth, not by sight. And before the church age, Israel was the primary mission field. Matthew chapter 10. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter the city of the Samaritans. And he says, But to the lost sheep of Israel. Now he is saying, Go into all the world after the resurrection. Now it's time to expand the ministry. And we'll see this in, again, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the, the earth. As the, collectively, as the church, not any one individual. Um, I like watching you know, food channels and travel channels because I don't want to go to any of those places and eat any of those things. And I'm always... Entertained by people who do go eat those things and live in those places. Uh, they may say the same about me. But anyhow, we have a perfect message. It is a perfect message that is to be delivered by an imperfect people. Get used to that. Remember that. When you feel like you're not worthy because you're not. But yet God, the love of God, the abilities of God. And uh, as he confronted those men... Uh, he reproved them for their reluctance to believe, and yet he encouraged them to go out. And thank you, Lord, that you are this way. Verse 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Two distinct and significant events in that one sentence. You have saving faith there presented to us, and you have that Faith, that saving faith, demonstrated by the act of water baptism. But water baptism saves no one. Ephesians 2, for by grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Lest anyone should brag. Ooh, look at me, I got baptized twice, or some goofy thing. Uh, we know that's not how it works, but there may be others that don't know it, and we should point it out to them. Those who believe are to be baptized. That's what the Bible is, a commandment. Jesus will tell his disciples, go into all the world, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then that baptism, it declares this union with Christ in his death, the burial, the resurrection. It, it's, it preaches this lesson by that one action. God commands and expects believers to be baptized. And we see this in Acts. We'll see it in Acts as uh, there are those converts to Christianity. But I'm sure the part that some of you are eager to get to is, but he who does not believe will be condemned in comment to um, he who believes and is baptized. Some of you want to know, does, might want to know an answer for that. And me knowing that, I would like to skip over it. <laughs> no, that would be just too easy. That's what you do with a sibling. Uh, anyway, <laughs> oh, you wanted chocolate? Well, I got you vanilla. <laughs> you all don't think that way. You're just like perfect people, aren't you? Anyhow, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So the condemnation is pronounced on unbelief, not immersion. He doesn't say, but he who does not believe and is not baptized. He says, he who does not believe will be condemned. That closes it right there, leaving on the outside the, the connection between water baptism and salvation. And uh, again, you know, the thief on the cross didn't, you know, the Lord didn't say, well, too bad, because the church really needs to have people who are water baptized, and you missed it. Uh, no, that, of course, is not the case. God can get people into heaven without water baptism. And to suppose that sinners must be baptized to be saved is a misinterpretation of that verse. The emphasis is on believing. Uh, if you want verses, just a couple of them. John 3.16 through 18 and John 3.36 are excellent verses to knock down anyone that you... Uh, that Knock down the argument, not knock down anyone. That would be a different class. Uh, but anyway... <laughs> If a person does not believe, uh, they are condemned, even if they are baptized. You can be baptized and go to hell if you insist. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. It never says, he that is not baptized shall be damned. Uh, this is the clear teaching of the scripture. Verse 17, these signs will follow those who believe in my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. These signs will follow those. I'll back you up, he is saying to his apostles. The sign indicates uh, something, something else it is pointing to. The sign is not the thing itself. The sign is always less than the thing that is it, it is indicating. If you were driving to the airport and you saw, ooh, there's a sign to the airport, you don't stop there and wait for the plane. You can. It just won't land there. These, um, <laughs> these signs that he is speaking of, it's not the first time God has given his people the power to do signs and wonders, of course. Just the ministry of Elijah, for example. But this is, going, this is the transition period. Christ is transitioning these 40 days after the, the crucifixion, resurrection. He's transitioning uh, his believers uh, from a Ju Judaistic-centered system uh, to the church. And the early chapters of Acts are loaded with the following signs and more that he is going to mention here. Uh, 
I will also point out, you know, the early church met in homes not by choice, by, by necessity. They didn't have a choice. They had to meet. Um, they, they would have loved to have been able to meet like the synagogues. When Paul gave so many instructions to the church, it was built on what the synagogues were doing. Because it was a sensible thing. He gets to the hall of Tyrannius and he begins to, again, you know, have service in a more formal environment uh, than uh, in, in someone's home. Today, if you have a Bible study in someone's home and the church starts to grow to beyond four people with kids, you'll learn real quick, this home thing's not a good idea. <laughs> it doesn't work well for uh, anybody. Um, just gauging what you think about that by looking at you. <laughs> anyway, uh, these early chapters of Acts is where I am. The transitional period, the church transitioned from the home to the, to the public arena, and it's a good thing. Of course, the Caesars outlawed the church, stopped it from doing that at times. And uh, it's not only the Caesars, even to this day, there are places where the church cannot assemble. Anyway, in my name, they will cast out demons. Well, it is true that when you share the gospel with someone and they convert to Christianity, you just cast out a heavy demonic influence. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, For this purpose the Son of Man was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And preaching the word of God does that. Thus the emphasis on the word of God, thus the attacks by Satan on the word of God be it through the direct attack on the Bible, as we saw in Genesis chapter 3, attacking God's word, or uh, as we see in the universities and other forums, and also in the individual heart. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. What's a new tongue? Um, You know, when the Lord spoke these words to them, tongues as we know it, they didn't know it. They didn't know what that the ecstatic tongue to praise God in a spiritual language. They, they did not have that knowledge. When their first encounter with tongues is speaking praises to God in their language being received by people in a, with a foreign language. And we'll cover that in, in Acts chapter 2. Uh, tongues can mean various languages. It can mean spiritual language. Acts chapter 10, when Peter's preaching in the house of Cornelius, you know, they, the Holy Spirit interrupted his sermon. And uh, they began to speak in tongues. And Peter said they need to be baptized with water. Having been baptized with the Spirit at, in that situation, uh, God used the subject of tongues in the church even as a warning sign to unbelieving Jews. See, in Isaiah 28, Isaiah writes, For with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to his people. Well, originally, Isaiah meant the Assyrian tongue. The Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom. And he says, there's a judgment coming. That tongue was not a blessing. In that case, it was a curse. But over 700 years, here comes Paul. And Paul is going to quote this verse from Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit gives him an application for the church. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 21. In the law it is written, with 
men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. Now he's quoting Isaiah. And yet, for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign to those who believe, uh, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. That usage of the tongue, it is a warning that there's something spiritual going on, and they insist on remaining outside of that spiritual source for the tongues. So again, Paul's quotation of Isaiah 28 in 1 Corinthians 14 is a reminder that unknown tongues are not uh, always God's uh, ministry of ecstasy in the heart of a believer, but can also be used in judgment. And we have it today where, you know, Christians hear the word tongues, they automatically think of this ecstatic speech of praising the Lord, and that's it. And sometimes you feel like when you're using scripture with people like that, there's, there's a war going on between the two. One just wants to be hysterical, and the other one is trying to do all things orderly before the Lord. And it should, that, why would anybody want to resist that? Well, people do. People come into a church, and the church has established order and policies, and people think that I'm the exception. And I get very defensive of the ushers and the children's workers, for example, because I don't like when they're put in a position where they got to tell somebody something that the person's going to cause, you know, a, a little scuffle with. Uh, verbal or, you know, well, verbal, of course. It doesn't usually get much more than that. You have to go to Brooklyn for that. But anyway, uh, so my Brooklyn brothers, no apology. Uh, it doesn't get that way there. Well, that's not entirely true. I've served in those places, I know. Anyhow, back to this. Uh, uh, not all believers in every age would, would see sensational signs as we have in the age of the apostles. Most of us hear the gospel and believe uh, how many po folks see a miracle, then become a believer nowadays? Well, I don't think that many. So Paul writes, so then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of God. No emphasis on the signs and wonders. Not to reduce their value, the participation of God. Scripture does not say that signs will cease. The, the, we, you know, there are many that, again, think that they stopped with the apostles. Once we have the written word, there's no need for any more signs and wonders. Well, wait a minute now. What about in those places where there are no Bibles? What about North Korea? Uh, what about amongst people who are illiterate? Yeah, at one point in church history, people were using stained glass to learn theology because they were illiterate. Uh, they'd have to go, you know, they work in the fields and farms, and they didn't have the, all the things that we enjoy. So let's be careful before we say, oh, there are no more signs and wonders. But let's also not say, uh, I'm expecting one. Uh, you know, a, a, the sign of wonder for me is when I drive home and there's no one else on the road. That is a miracle, and I rejoice all the way home. Uh, anyway, uh, I think that those who say, well, the Gospel of Mark stops at verse 8 in fear, uh, I think they're driven because they don't want to face the signs and wonders still exist in the church, and they want to try to dismiss it. Uh, I understand that hysterical abuse within churches and amongst some Christians uh, 
concerning miraculous things in tongues are enough to sicken us sometimes. It's like, you know, that's just crazy. That is not scripture. And uh, the Lord says he gives the spirit to those who are obedient. And many times someone claims to know, speak in tongues and there's no other, nothing else going on with their life. And so let's just be careful not to throw it all away because of abuses. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now abide in faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. He sure is. Uh, it's not always made easy for us, is it? Uh, you know, you, you ask yourself, do, do I make it easy for others to love me? You, you know, put an adorable face on. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure there, I don't. Um, anyway, verse 18. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Well, let's talk about snake handlers just for a moment. You think they would try to first overcome headaches or heartburn before going on to, you know, vipers. You know, just just get a headache and try to beat it by faith and find out how hard that is. Or heartburn or just a whole host of things. Why do they skip those steps and go to the really, because, well, it says snakes, you know, but that is not the whole idea. Yeah, we see it in the book of Acts. We see that Paul gets bitten by a viper and there's nothing negative that happens to him because of it. But why don't they see it as tempting God? I'm going to pass around something very deadly. Why don't they do that with a revolver? Just take out all the bullets except one. And just, you know, Russian roulette through the congregation. It's the same thing. This is to prove that God, we have faith. This isn't just the devil that's doing this to people. Who wants to go to that church? If I accidentally went to that church, I, it would take, as soon as I saw the snake cage, that'd be it for me. I'd be halfway down the road. Uh, it, could have, it could be spiders. It could be anything crazy. Uh, anyway, Jesus said unto them, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. You know, jump off the building. Let's see if you, you know, you're going to survive because of God. Yeah, get bit by a viper. Let's see if you're going to get sick and die. Misguided people claim that these are signs from God and they have died doing it to no glory to God. Uh, just a shaking of the head, a sad family left behind. And, of course, what do they always do? They blame, well, he didn't have enough faith. How convenient. Uh, no doubt, again, God has performed many wonders for his own. In fact, many wonders that we never hear about. Uh, you know, God is not, well, you know, I'm going to send a memo out every time I do something for somebody. I like what Paul writes to the Thessalonians in this connection. I like all that he writes to the Thessalonians, especially the one he says, well, if a man doesn't eat, if a man doesn't work, he, he doesn't get to eat. That's Pretty intense. That's like a death sentence or laziness. All right. Uh, maybe you're not with me on that one. Maybe you think it's not in there. I don't know. But, it's just, you know, how do you, how do you mooch off of people and, and claim Christ and ignore a verse like that? That's pretty intense. So subtle, right? Anyway, verse, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 
For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. I like to point out, when the church of Thessalonica was the church of Thessalonica was started by two people who were just beat up for Christ. When Paul and, and Silas arrive in Thessalonica, they still got the, 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 the marks on their back from Philippi, from the caning. And they hear the truth. And instead of saying, Well, if that's what your faith got you, I think I'll pass. Many of these people turn from idols and they come to Jesus Christ. And Paul writes to them. Early on, hearing that their faith is staying strong. And he's saying it it is word-centered. Your faith is based in Scripture. The signs and wonders you guys got were two men beaten for Christ. How profound is that? These are the things that are supposed to make us think and not just let our feelings take over our theology. We have every reason to believe that the remaining apostles that aren't named after, you know, the book of Acts, we have every reason to believe that they did some miraculous works too. The Holy Spirit, evidently, the evidence is clear, he felt it best to confine whatever they did to unrecorded history. And we're good with that. Well, I was going to talk about the cessationists, you know, those who believe the gifts have ceased. Uh, The best I can find is the reformers, Calvin men like that, Uh, They're the ones that really started pushing it. And yet, Martin Luther, you know, Martin Luther was a man's man. He was a tough guy, as opposed to some of the others. A lot of the reformers, I mean, John Knox. You wouldn't want to get a fist fight with John Knox. He was a bodyguard before he became, I mean, he was was, uh, rowing on a slave galley, and he took the idol of a priest, he threw it into the water. It is your right to go get it. Anyway, uh, these, these were, uh, my point is these men were just not these, you know, starry-eyed men. Uh, their lives were in jeopardy for preaching the gospel. And they stood before people who had the power to kill them, and they stood up for it. And Martin Luther, uh, though I don't agree with everything on uh, Martin Luther, a terrible haircut, but... <laughs> Well, I'm saying, I mean, you look at a picture and you say, wow, where'd he buy that hat? Um, <laughs> I want to know so I never go there. Uh, Martin Luther, he, you know, he said, you know, if God wants to do signs and wonders, he's going to do them. And we have, I'm paraphrasing. We have no right to say God can't do signs and wonders. They're, even though they're not really necessary in, in, a, in a many places in Western civilization because you have the truth being preached. I believe in uh, the speaking of tongues, uh, you know, as, as the scripture has directed, we've had to block it out in modern day assemblies because people have abused it and they will abuse it. And so we, we've taken that option out and say, well, you know what? You can speak tongues in your own home. Nobody's stopping you. You can pray in your own home. You can pray in the closet. You can pray out the closet. You can pray with green eggs and ham. Or you can pray, okay. <laughs> Uh, it's just, you know, we're in the age of grace. Lighten up. No. <laughs> Ooh, look. 
<laughs> anyway, Satan gets to do signs, lying signs and wonders. Why can't God? Uh, you know, Paul warns the church in the Second Thessalonian letter that Antichrist is going to be doing lying signs and wonders, and people are going to be gobbling it up. Uh, <clears throat> they're gobbling it up now to a lesser sense. Again, I mentioned the other day about reading the comments on anything you watch on the Internet now because everybody's an authority. Uh, the comments just are like an x-ray on what's happening in our culture. You, you just look at these comments and say, boy, these are some mean people or dumb people. Sometimes they're funny. Boy, that guy's pretty clever. But it uh, depends on the material. I never go to Christian sites. I don't want to hear it. No, it's just a conflict, an argument. Oh, that's brutal. Maybe you like that stuff. Uh, I don't want to say that like I'm talking down on you. If you like it, that's fine. You have the gift of liking comments. <laughs> Verse 19. And again, lighten up. Don't come up to me saying, I didn't like that. And then, uh, then, then I'm going to make comments. <laughs> so... <laughs> So then, verse 19, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. I mean, it's just so, that's the gospel. It doesn't end again at verse 8, and they all were afraid. The end. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He on the throne. Uh, there's an interval of time between verse 19 and what has preceded in verse 18 forward. You know, there's a 40-day period of Christ showing himself to his disciples. And uh, there he is on the throne. What is he doing? Well, through the cross, the intercession is established. He doesn't have to say a word to intercede for us. His deeds have done that. And yet, he is on, well, Hebrews 10, we find him. The servant ruler waiting, Hebrews 10, verse 12. But this man, that is the Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, that means he is never going to suffer again for our sins, contrary to Roman Catholicism, sat down at the right hand of God. That is on the throne as the Son of God. And he continues in Hebrews, verse 13 of chapter 10. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Well, one part of you says, Lord, can you do that today? There's some enemies that I really don't like. And I would love to see you just deal with them. But then the Holy Spirit says, come on, his soul's still to be saved. We don't want the curtain to close yet. We need them all to get into the ark as long as it takes. And God knows what that is. Uh, verse 20, and they went out. And preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. As a robust matter of fact. It, not, not, oh, incidentally, and also, but that is a matter that is fact. So it's a, it's a you, can, you can drive a train over this and it won't collapse is the idea behind that. Amen. He commanded them. To go out, and so now the Mark is saying, and that's what they did. They complied. There they are. They went out and preached everywhere. What did they do? They did singing everywhere. Well, singing's part of it. Nothing wrong with that. Depends on who's singing, and you know it's true. Uh, I don't mean the person next to you so much as the person leading it. The person next to you can be terrible, 
and the person leading it makes up for it. But when the leader is really bad, it can hurt. And uh, then you need the gift of healing. So back to this. Um, the risen Christ has entrusted us to continue preaching. Most churches don't need more teachers, except in the children's ministry. I think every church on earth has a need for children's workers. Every single church. We're, the goal is still to have a waiting list to get into the children's ministry. Uh, we've not yet achieved that. Uh, there is a sign-on bonus, incidentally. <laughs> you, all, you get a free trip to Hawaii. Well, you get not free. All expenses paid by you. Anyway, uh, the world needs preaching, not the church. The church needs teaching. The world needs preaching. The church needs some preaching, too. But the world needs this, Acts chapter 5. And we are his witnesses, said the apostles, to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And there it is. Some will claim that they have gifts, but they are disobedient, and it's clear. And Christ says, well, you know, there's that quest for obedience that comes along with the blessings of the gifts. And you say, well, I, I fail sometimes. Yeah, but you have that quest for obedience, which... Is radical. Confirming the word, not confirming the signs. The signs are there pointing to the word, uh, validating their origin in opposition to false signs and false wonders. You know, God's answer to sin is death. And his answer to death is the resurrection. The resurrection is not something, it is everything. We have no faith without it. Uh, as made clear by Paul, your faith is in vain if there is no resurrection. And it is to be preached, and I encourage you in the workplace to preach a risen Christ. Through the accompanying signs, amen, he says, a climactic beginning to the church uh, <clears throat> from despair, when we first opened up this morning, to this call to proclaim the truth. Believers believing without seeing the truth received. What a sign. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. I'm almost done, incidentally. Peter says, Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory. So imagine being Peter. You go to a church. You're invited to a church somewhere in, in, in Asia Minor. And you're standing there and you meet all of these new, these other believers are there. Oh, Peter's here. And, you know, we're going to sing, Peter, before we ask you to speak. And, and they're singing praises to the Lord. And Peter is saying, look at these people. They're singing with the same zeal that I have. And they never met Christ. I have met Christ. How does that happen? How do they match my zeal without matching my experience? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes Christ real to all of us. Had you known me before I knew Christ? You would stand and say, that's a sign and a wonder. And you can say that about yourself, some of you, or others. We'll close with two verses. Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 through 3. If there arises among you, <coughs> if there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which... He spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. 
you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for Yahweh your God is testing you to know whether you love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul. He then says that guy needs to get stoned, but that's not how we do it uh, anymore. I know, sad face. But I will close with this. This is for the New Testament. This is that verse in Deuteronomy 13 applied in the New Testament. I want to read it. This is a verse worth memorizing, but I want you to know I'm not ad-libbing or just speaking extemporaneously, but I am actually reading it from the Scripture. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will pile up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, what a profound way to conclude the beginnings of our faith in the Gospels by telling us to go out and do something with what you have done. We thank you for these encouragements and lessons. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who helps us reconcile the sufferings in our own life with the promises of Scripture that so often seem to be delayed or forfeited or blocked. And yet, we always, we who believe, default to just trusting you in spite of pain. Pain or no pain. Because of your word, because of you, we can believe. We thank you. If you've been listening this morning and you've never opened your heart to Christ, God's answer to your sin is your death, your eternal death at that. You get the double death. But he also offers a way to die only once, if at all. And that is through the resurrection, by coming to him. If you'd like to open your heart to Christ, You have to confess who you are to him. The game has to stop. You must admit that you are one who breaks his rules, his laws, his will. And if you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have missed it. I ask you to forgive me. I come to you because there is no one else to come to to be forgiven for my sin. Only you are righteous enough. Only you are powerful enough. And I come to you and I ask you to forgive me this very moment and that from this moment through all eternity you will be my Savior and you will be my Lord. I give my life to you. And now, Father, if anyone has made that prayer this morning in earnest, may they not be ashamed of it. When invited to share it with one of the pastors, we encourage them to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Pastors are to my left and right. If you have prayer requests or praise reports, uh, these men are here.